So this week, I was reminded of a story as I was preparing my thoughts, and I don't know how many of you are familiar with the story of Florence Chadwick. Um, she was a distance swimmer, and this would have been in July 4th, 1952. Uh, and she had in her mind, don't ask me why, that she would set out to swim 26 miles from the San Diego coast to the Catalina Island. N- n- not a small swim, a huge swim. But long-distance swimming was was actually nothing new to her. She had become the first woman to swim the English Channel in both directions, which is 21 miles. So from England to France, and then when she got to France, she said, I want to be able to swim it back, and she went back, both in record time. So on this day, July 4th, 1952, she sets out to go to Catalina Island, 26 miles, a marathon. Think about that. Well, she had a boat going alongside of her in case there was going to be an injury or exhaustion or whatever, and it was numbing cold. In fact, the boat that was alongside of her even brought with them guns because as she began to swim and she got out in the channel out off the coast, there was even sharks that got curious. And so they're firing warning shots, but she kept plugging along. But eventually, when they start getting closer to Catalina Island, a dense, deep, thick fog settles in. And do you know what happened? she could no longer see the coastline. Going through muscle memory, still powering through, wanting to finish this because she's just sort of goal-oriented, and she's still starting to plead with her kind of swim coach, and he's like, Florence, you almost got it. Just stick with it. But it wasn't the exhaustion. It wasn't the fear of sharks. It wasn't the numbing cold. It was the fog that caused She hops out. Now, the good news is on this story is that she recalibrated. And two months later, she got into the same numbing cold and she fought the same elements and even the same thick fog settled in and she made it. Now, her first thought when she first got out and didn't do it, she says, you know what? I don't mean to make excuses, but if I could have seen the shoreline, I think I could have finished. When she got out and had accomplished I had so painted a mental picture in my mind that I wasn't going to be daunted. In other words, doesn't it feel like so much of life feels like we are relentlessly running after something that feels like a race without a finish line? And maybe fog is a really good metaphor for us in this space, in this time. Because over the last year, we have encountered a kind of transitional time in life that was unimaginable. I mean, we've gone through safety and health protocols that we would have never imagined in our lifetime. We have seen sort sort of like this pendulum swinging politics that feel incredibly divisive. And the question we all seem to ask is, when can it just go back to normal? Which would be the wrong question. It's a natural question. I ask that question, but I realize we've come so far we can't go back. Things have simply changed. And the one thing we need to understand is that change is assumed. But growth is never going to be automatic. So we have to understand that when we go through transitions, when we go through adversity, when we go through uncertainty, when we go through hardships and loss and heartbreak, 
The thing we can't do is go back to what's familiar or what we knew back then. The only thing we can do is try and grow and move forward. And so the question becomes not can we go back. It's how can God meet us today in light of the resurrection and help us navigate through uncharted territory, both corporately but personally, despite the adversity, hardship, and challenges we're all facing. So that's a really significant question for us, I think, to consider and ponder. Um, I like to think of salvation as a movement. It's not simply an event that we arrive to and we check a box and say, yep, I got saved. I think salvation, like any relationship, is, is a movement. It's growing. It's organic. And so for us to actually be changed, we have to pursue a kind of growth path. Now, there's this moment in the Easter story, and we just read about it, and I don't know if you caught it, but it kind of stuck out to me. Mary has this moment with Jesus, and Jesus says, let go. So the verse comes to us uh, in, in verse 17 of John 20. and says, Jesus says, do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them I am ascending to my Father and to your Father, to my God and to your God. <laughs> a little odd. It's kind of weird. Let me give you a little backstory. The backstory is that this is Mary, not the mother of Jesus. This is Mary, close confidant, travel companion, financial supporter of the ministry of Jesus. She was a part of the inner circle. This is Mary Magdalene. This is Mary Magdalene who just earlier had broken a, a, a jar of perfume and sort of bathed him in this lavishly expensive perfume. This is the mother of Mar or the sister of Martha. She's just watched him die get buried, and then now she thinks he's a gardener and then finally recognizes his voice, and she does what any of us would do. She goes in for the hug, and Jesus does the pullback, right? I mean, imagine seeing someone who you thought was dead or that you haven't seen in a long time, and you get a sort of underwhelming response like, uh, do I like you more than you like me? So what's behind this response? In fact, the Greek language out of this is in for a hug because that's what you do and someone's like, no, I'll give you the elbow, right? Have you ever gone in for the hug and people are like, no, we're just handshake friends. Okay, keep your space. I don't know if any of you have had that dating moment where you, you go in for the kiss and you get the cheek. I mean, it's the classic pullback moment and Jesus does it to one of his closest confidants. So why? What's changed now that Jesus in his resurrected state has just arrived and he says, let go of me. It's not going to be like it was, Mary. Mary enters a fog of transition, a fog of confusion, and Jesus is illustrating to her it can't be like it was, but it can be better. See, we have to stare at transitions in our life and we have to face them with a kind of faith and a hope and a kind of confidence that God is not divorced from the adversity and the challenges of our lives. And in this moment, Mary has this fog of confusion and Jesus gives her some direction. And so I would like to just draw three simple observations about the nature of transition because transition change is actually really hard for people. 
It's that classic, who moved my cheese? I like predictability. I like known. I don't like unfamiliar. And, and on some level of emotional pain, we have to deal with change if we're to grow. So in light of the resurrection, how can we experience new life in the midst of a broken reality. So if our salvation is to be a movement, let's just talk about this. So the first thing when you enter any transition is simply this. Transition is always about voice recognition. Have you gone through a desert time where you feel like God is distant, where you feel like I feel so dry. I feel like my prayers hit the ceiling. It feels like, how could God allow this to happen? And all I'm suggesting to you is, as we go through difficult seasons, transitions, the great challenge is voice recognition. Because what we find is that, can we hear God speak in the midst of change, uncertainty, and adversity? Because new life always begins when we're able to hear the voice of God whom we're hopefully already following. God can meet us in that space. Now, this is where we have to come to the realization, acceptance, that Jesus is in fact alive. If we're just celebrating simply a 2,000-year-old birthday that he was born or that he died, that's a really static and stale religion. The fact of the matter is, is he's risen, he's alive today, and while we can't see him physically, we have to seek this vocal recognition that God still leads and, and guides in the midst of hardship. And Mary has this encounter with him. Now, the second thing that we need to recognize out of any transition isn't just voice recognition. It's the prize of surrender is revelation. Think about that for a moment. When God begins to speak, and maybe you have felt at some point God nudging you, God encouraging you, God directing you, but then is when it comes down to, are we going to respond? Are we able to obey? Are we going to keep following or are we just going to peel off? And so where God meets us is never going to be where God takes us. Now, you might have had an early encounter with God that might have felt underwhelming. You might have had an encounter with God that felt like God didn't hold up his end of the bargain. But what I'm suggesting to you is that faith is a living organism. It's like a relationship. And so where God meets us at one age isn't where God is going to leave us. He wants to take us to new places. So, any transition is about vocal recognition. Secondly, the prize of surrender is always God's revelation. If we can give ourselves to following him in dark times, because in this place, transitions become, I think, the most fertile ground for revelation. This is going to seem like an odd story to tell, But it occurred to me, um, I am not a horror um, fan, horror film movie fan, because for entertainment purposes, I just don't want to be scared and I don't want to turn out the lights and have to worry. Like, that's just not my form of entertainment. 
But I do like film, and I do like people who write creatively. Alfred Hitchcock uh, has been prolific in his writing, and in 1960, he wrote one of his best-known pieces called Psycho. Probably some of you have seen Psycho. I have not. But I was reading about Alfred Hitchcock's movie, and what was interesting about this moment is that when he began to write this, and he had this visionary idea of what it would become, people weren't buying into it, at least the powers that be, the backers, the studios, the funding. And so here's what was left. He ended up doing, even though he had already worked with color, he ended up having to do this film in black and white. Huh, that's unfortunate. I had a great visionary idea. Why am I not getting it? Haven't I already proved myself? Well, you might have, but you're not getting it. Now, he ended up using a television crew instead of a film crew because that's what he could afford. And initially, when it was released, it had these terribly mixed reviews until the box office began telling a different story and people were into it, that they went for a reevaluation of it, and it ended up getting nominated for four Academy Awards, including Best Director. And now it's looked at as his most famous, if not his best work. See, Hitchcock would have never achieved that if it weren't for closed doors. Alfred Hitchcock would have never got that notoriety if it wasn't for the adversity. And sometimes we want to live our lives as if we're just trying to avoid conflict. But what I'm saying is these transition times, this struggle that we're all in collectively, but what we're in personally, and I don't know what that is, become the most fertile ground for new life. And so we find ourselves is that transitions always end up feeling like a disruption, do they not? But can I suggest to you that the gospel, the good news, should always lead us to something that becomes disorienting because when we become new in Christ, it can reorient us in a new way, a new way to be human. So you ready for what, what new life looks like? What does it look like on the other side of transition? And, and, and this is where new life begins. God becomes the prize not the answer I'm seeking. God becomes the prize, not simply the quick fix. See, a lot of my prayers just become sort of a wish list to God. Fix this, do this, change this, help this, bless this. And what I'm suggesting to you is that God is so much more because on the far side of our enduring, of our transition, is this beautiful intimacy that can await us. That regardless of the storms, we can find the living reality, the presence of the almighty God. See, the prize in any moment or any transition is recognizing God's voice. And if we're simply chasing an answer, I think we're too quick, we're too tempted to find simply a quick fix. And so when God is the prize and not the answer, intimacy always becomes the reward. And we have this growing, beautiful faith that can blossom into something new. And sometimes, let's just be honest, we go through seasons of pruning, right? Have you ever gotten the answer, or excuse me, have you ever not got the answer you were looking for, but you still got the prize? Some of you might be familiar. There's a gentleman that has been influential in my life. Uh, His name is Sam. Sam was, uh, he crossed a lot of cultures. He has a PhD. He taught in graduate schools and seminaries. He was a pastor.
like almost an early retirement. He doesn't have much means, but he had to assume the full-time care of his wife, Norma. They had been married for close to 50 years, but Norma had had some debilitating mental abilities so that she couldn't even, in the later years of their marriage, even confess, I love you, honey, or thank you, honey. But he assumed the role of full-time caregiver. And Sam could have been working very gainfully and influencing many people in the kingdom of God. Instead, he was relegated to people like me going, Sam, will you go to breakfast with me? Sam, I've got a question for you. Can I ask your advice? I need some help. And as a pastor, I reached out to him and we were having breakfast one morning and, and, and I'm talking about hearing God. I'm talking about not hearing God. I'm asking him, why does it feel like my prayers just keep hidden sealed? Why does it feel like God's not delivering on his promises and he tells me the story he says you know it wasn't too long ago that I was sitting with Norma and I was getting her ready in the morning and I had finished bathing her like I normally do but she had gotten all bathed and all dressed and then in the bathroom I got this awful whiff of something here's this grown woman who can't even appreciate what her husband's even doing but he's taking his vows very And so he says, it's okay, it's okay. You know, and he's trying to tell himself it's okay. But he, he starts to undress her again so that he could clean her up. And as she's half undressed, she hadn't finished going. And right there on the bathroom floor, she goes again. And he's telling me this story and he's glassing up and he's starting, to, and I could see like it was happened yesterday. It was such a tender moment. And he says, I can't take it. Do you hear me? And immediately I go into, oh, Sam, I'm so sorry. Because in my mind, I'm thinking God should fix that. This is a godly man and God should do God's part to help this man make it easier on his life. God should somehow comfort him. God should provide relief for him. And Sam interrupts me and he goes, no, David, you're missing the point. Because the point was that in that moment, I could hear God saying, do you hear me? Those were God's words to him. See, we go through these awful transitions and we sort of shake our fist at God going, where are you? Or why would you allow this to happen? And to that, I would simply say, God is right there with us because you and I are living in a world that God created, but he never intended There was not supposed to be this kind of brokenness and this kind of loss and heartbreak and death. There was not supposed to be a world with COVID-19 and missing chromosome 21. And there's not supposed to be a world where these natural disasters, because that was not the world that God intended. He created something way better. You know what's interesting? When Jesus went to show up to heal Lazarus, It says that he wept. But if you look at the language of Jesus' weeping over that, it says that he was kind of crying with an amount of anger. Why is Jesus shedding tears of anger? I don't know how many of you are angry criers. Because this was not the world that he intended. It was not supposed to be like this. And so God restores and repairs. And Jesus is part of the restoration of all things. And the thing we celebrate today is that Jesus is alive. And we are supposed to experience the resurrection, not as one man's action 2,000 years ago, but a living reality that we can be born again.
all time, in all people, in all places, in all circumstances. So whatever baggage you bring in here, you can be born again. Whatever scars you hold, you can begin again. There is something beautiful about the resurrection because it doesn't leave us as a stagnant, stale faith, but it allows us to experience something way more intimate. See, Easter isn't just the fulfillment of Christ's work. Easter is the unimaginable promise for what is to come. Can I pray with you? Our Father in heaven, I'm reminded that you are not done with us. And while we live in a world that feels entirely broken and flawed, this was not the reality, but you are present and with us. You sit beside us in grief, wanting to comfort. You have the feelings that we have when we feel like this is not the world that it was supposed to be. So I would just invite you to pray maybe a couple of different ways. One is, what is it that you might be holding back? What is holding you back? What is keeping you in a place from breaking through? Because there's a resurrection on the other side of that surrender. How might you experience new life today? I think new life comes in the form of God is healing our doubts, our fears, our memories. Father in heaven, I pray that you would restore unto us the joy of thy salvation. I'm, I'm aware that those within the sound of my voice might have never experienced any kind of intimacy with you. They know about you, but they don't know you personally. I pray that you would all uh, allow us all to experience you just in one step closer. I pray that there would be a transcendent moment as we gather on this Easter day where we would catch a glimpse of what's on your heart, catch a glimpse of what's going on in the heavenlies. I pray for your revelation to settle us that would lead us to greater intimacy with you. Lord, I understand that you're writing a story, a redemptive story. And you sent your son as part of your restoration for all things. And there's a lot in the world that needs to be restored right now, but there's just stuff in our own hearts and our own lives that you can meet us on. So in this place, we want to worship you. We want to praise you, but we want to meet with you. Because when we say that you're alive, we want you to be alive in us. Have your rule and have your reign. Have your will and have your way. Break up the fallow ground, the hard ground of our hearts so that we can say I do to you in a fresh and a new way. Pray this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.